you know, listening offers us these opportunities, not only to take a moment to realize where we are, perhaps in our environment, or whose company we're in, but it also is this really deeply central value, um, culturally, to connecting with people. You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Porton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. And if you've listened before, you know it's also a show about paying attention to where we are, choosing to be curious about the place we call home. And since this is radio, specifically community radio, it's also a show about the sounds around us, which is where we're focused today. Fellow sound fan, award-winning audio journalist, media consultant, and audio artist Jocelyn Frank will join us in a moment. But first, some bells. Like a landscape, every place has a soundscape. But I think most of us turn a deaf ear to what's there. Too often we go from our hermetically sealed homes to our similarly sealed cars to our still further sealed places of work, and we don't necessarily pay attention to or let alone hear the sounds that make up the uniquely D.C. soundscape. One of the special signature sounds in the Arlington soundscape is the Netherlands Carolyn Bell Tower, which sits on a grassy hillside overlooking the D.C. monuments. The chiming of its 50 bells wafts past the Iwo Jima Memorial and Arlington National Cemetery, on across the river to Washington, greeting residents and tourists alike. And on Saturdays in the summer, there are live concerts from 6 to 8 p.m. So I was curious, what's the story behind those bells? Hi, I'm Edward Nassor, and I'm the director caroliner for the Netherlands Carillon. Did I mention it was not only a grassy hillside, but also a windy one with airplanes overhead and traffic going by? Not the greatest recording conditions, I apologize. I got the job in 1987, so I schedule the other performers and perform for special functions and advise on the maintenance of the instrument. This is a fantastic location. You have the picture postcard view of Washington, D.C., plus it's such an awesome sight when you see um, all the graves at Arlington Cemetery. It really gives you a solemn sense of um, where we are and the history of our country and that you're right there and you can express a lot of things in music from this tower. These um, carillons end up being singing towers. It's not just a static monument. The uh, tower actually speaks. My name is Donald Tracer, and I'm from Richmond, and Ed and I were college classmates together. I'm mostly retired these days, but I come here once a year, and uh, it's a very different experience. It's a very different instrument, one that people don't see or hear but so often. National Park Ranger Dean DeRosa unlocked the gate, and we made our ways up and up and up the tower. Until a few years ago, they had what was called Open Tower. Uh-huh. Anybody and everybody could come, could up, come up for the oh, whole wow. time that I was playing. The theory of how carillons originate, uh, they are most prevalent in the low countries of Belgium and Holland and so forth. 
where practically every town has one in the city hall. And then there we were, a small plain room with a groaning air conditioner against one wall and an enormous wooden instrument that looked like the innards of a cubist organ with pedals and an array of longish knobs. And the top and bottom thin metal rods bristled. The bells do not move. The key moves the clapper, which then goes and hits the bell. These are arranged like the black and white keys on a piano. Two blacks, three blacks, two blacks, three blacks, etc. Sort of like halfway down, uh, the bells are operable either by hand or by foot. So if I push this, you will see that this key is going down. So let's warm up with this piece. I have six o'clock on the dot. So here we go. (laughs) It was the sound of musical sausage being made as Don played by banging the wooden knobs with his hands and working the pedals with his feet. Anticipated that at all. That's really funny. Uh, from downstairs, you don't hear all of that racket. Back on terra firma, I set up my folding chair in the shade of a spreading tree. A family of three generations sat on the benches nearby as the youngest cartwheeled down the hill and the bells rang forth. I'm a relative newbie to this audio work, but I'm in the company of a real expert and champion of the cause. I first encountered Jocelyn Frank when she presented a workshop on multisensory map making at the Megapolis Audio Fest in Philadelphia last year. And through her, I've come to know and appreciate a network of self-described sound enthusiasts here in the D.C. area. Jocelyn has worked with the likes of CBS, Slate, Smithsonian, and The Guardian. And today, I'm delighted to have her back to Radio Arlington. So welcome, Jocelyn. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. I'm delighted to have you. So what got you interested in sound in the first place? Well, I think I would probably have to give credit to my parents. (laughs) They're probably the first sounds that I ever heard in my life, I would assume. Um, But I think it really comes from a love of music. Mm. Uh, And I did grow up in a family where music was really present, lots of singing along in the car, on a walk, or in the grocery store, or something like that. Uh, And I studied music in college. I was an oboe performance major. So it continues to be a very important part of uh, my appreciation of what's happening in a group or what is the the sort of soundscape of a particular moment or an emotion. Uh, And so those kinds of thinkings about sound started through a musical lens. Nice. Do you have an early sound memory that you kind of imprinted on? Hmm. I would say one of my early memories of sound and a sound that feels really homey and personal and... um, just kind of grounding is just the simple sound of the birds outside my childhood home. Mm. Uh, I lived 
in a suburb in Michigan when I was growing up, and we were right next to a middle school. And so every morning on the weekends was the sound of children playing soccer, Mm -hmm. mostly, and cheering parents and ref whistles and that kind of thing. And when the weekend would wrap, and it was another morning, there would just be this pureness of of the birds chirping in the trees, kind of wondering, like, where'd all the fun go? <laughs> we thought we were having a sing-along. Um, so when I am back in the Midwest, sometimes I notice the familiarity of a bird song. And I'm no bird expert at all, but there is something that's something just sort of... the sound. Yeah, it references a feeling of home. So what kind of sounds attract your attention now? I think I'm much more interested these days in the sounds of a particular environment, which I guess is sort of the same. Um, But my environment is much more often an urban setting than a rural one or a Mm -hmm. suburban one. So in an urban setting, oftentimes the sonic environment is kind of overwhelming. And you tend to crave a little bit of an escape. Um, And one way that I tend to do that is just take a moment in whatever environment I'm in and try and focus in on what is the smallest sound I can hear. And oh, lovely. not necessarily even the quietest, but what's the smallest? And I like kind of mixing adjectives, you know, it's not a dynamic range. It's a it's more poetic maybe than that. And there's more room for abstraction. Huh. So what is it about sound you think that excites our curiosity in that way? Sound is a really powerful tool for the imagination. I think very similarly to reading books. When there's one sense that's very heavily engaged, the other senses get an opportunity to fill in the missing pieces. And so when I'm listening to sound or the moments when I really appreciate a particular sound or a song or a story or a cadence or whatever it is, um, it's often when I realize my mind is is filling in the rest of the the picture. So maybe I don't know what that person looks like. But if I take a minute to pause, I realize, oh, I've created a whole persona in my mind. Oh, interesting. So is there a value to choosing to be curious about sound? Or it's it's bigger than just the sound? So I would say there's there's a real richness in listening, more specifically than sound itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you know, listening offers us these opportunities, not only to take a moment to realize where we are, perhaps in our environment, or whose company we're in, but it also is this really deeply central value, um, culturally, to connecting with people. It's a really pivotal part of conflict resolution. It's really central to, you know, truth and reconciliation, to restorative justice, to these big concepts Mm -hmm. culturally that help us stay connected to one another. Um, And I think the value of um, being curious about sound is sort of extends beyond the the act of listening, but it it sort of is a, a version of saying, like, I want I want to connect with this moment or this environment or this story or this song and explore what that means to the person who's creating the sound, who maybe created it before, or imagining what that adventure is. You know, if you hear a car, a set of car horns on the expressway, you might not be like really deeply connecting to the person (laughs) who's honking, but it might be an opportunity to just distract yourself from the traffic and think about, whoa, what were those pitches? That was kind of a cool mixture that just happened in that one moment if you're not in danger. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, it is. I I like I like the parsing of it's not so much about the sound as it is about the listening 
and where that can take you. I'm wondering, actually, if you have a sound like that that represents that, that you've captured, that you would want to share as an example. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I've found so valuable about living in D.C. is that there's no shortage of sounds. (laughs) And there's all sorts of sources of those sounds. And so I've lived in in Washington for many years and in Columbia Heights in the Mount Pleasant area for about 15 now. And the community has changed a lot over time. And I've had a lot of uh, opportunities to connect with different portions of that neighbor, those neighborhoods. But, you know, sometimes it's not until you take the time to really listen or to ask, or in my case, record, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you realize there's a whole nother layer of story there waiting for you. And so a number of years ago, I, uh, put together a project called The Poetry of Others, where I would ask a number of people, either all in one place or across a variety of locations, the same question. Um, so I, I had this piece that I put together that's from the Columbia Heights area. Uh, it was recorded before 2014, so I think it was around 2012, 2013. And um, yeah, I can, I can play you a bit of it. Great. It's called Hunger. I'm hungry for, you know, the girl of my dreams, etc. Boring. The most, in the most literal sense, I'm hungry for pancakes. That's always been my answer. What's your favorite meal, Rusty? Oh, pancakes. Mmm, to eat. Um, healthy food like salads and oranges, apples. Chocolate cake. And like vegetables, too. My own recipe with double-double uh, chocolate everything. Chips, pudding, cake mix. Um, any type of greasy food with a side of liquor. I am hungry for some Spanish food right now. Chicken with rice and beans. And if you're talking about really hungry, you're talking about my real hunger, or are you talking about what am I hungry for in life? I'm hungry for success. I'm hungry for all the um, things we're supposed to have. I'm hungry for my master's degree in public administration and I'm hungry for some more money. I'm hungry to be better than I am. I am hungry for moments in my life where I am where I'm not aware of myself. I'm more aware of what is going on around me. That's wonderful. (laughs) I really like that. Credit to the people of DC. Yeah. Yeah. Well the power of sort of Listening to both what's said and what's not said and what's meant, even though that's not what's said. <laughs> the the human voice has a really huge capacity for expression. And there's so much more than just the words. Uh, and the words themselves are deeply important. And giving people a voice and an opportunity to speak for themselves. There's something very powerful about that sound that sound that can come from people, from a community. Um, there's a lot to be learned from, you know, the oral tradition and people passing on knowledge from person to person, even if it's a stranger on the street that you happen to ask something, appreciating whatever point of connection might be available. Yeah, yeah. So one of the points of connection that you've made and helped to make available is the D.C. Listening Lounge, which is... I think very aptly self-described as this group of sound enthusiasts. And I kind of wandered into it in the last, I don't know, six months or so. Tell me more about that. 
The DC Listening Lounge began in 2004, I believe. Uh, There were two women that had moved from Minneapolis to DC, and they had a group similar to the DC Listening Lounge uh, that started in that city. And when they got here, I believe they were both working in public radio. And they thought that it would be valuable to have a space where people could sit down together and kind of talk through and listen and kind of workshop sound that either was something that they were working on for broadcast or that didn't make it to broadcast, but they felt like it still deserved a place to be appreciated or experienced or dug into a little bit more. And from that very specific core, I think the group continues to hold on to that as a mission. It really is a group, an audio collective in the truest sense. You know, it is informal, it's DIY, it's whoever (laughs) shows up at the door with whatever audio they want to share that really crafts the mood of any particular gathering. And we've been meeting monthly since the very beginning uh, in people's living rooms. Yeah, And I love the variety of things that people show up with. And as you say, some of them are highly crafted and others are just sounds that people found interesting for whatever reason. Uh, So maybe this is the perfect time to share the clip you brought. This is from Virginia Millington, a D.C. Listening Lounge member, as you say, for life, since she's no longer actually in D.C. She recorded this at the Bicycling Empowerment Network in Namibia. Okay, so it sounds musical, but it's not purposely musical, right? Exactly. She was just exploring a bike shop, you know, and she thought it was a beautiful sort of visualization of a space without having a picture to show it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think you do get a sense of the room that she was moving through and how packed it must have been with a million different bike parts and sort of the whimsical warmth of whoever was actually working in the shop being willing to have someone do something like that. It was really lovely. And You know, that's one of the many types of things that people might bring to a lounge is just captured sound, what we might call found sound Mm -hmm. of a place. Uh, Other people bring clips from, you know, maybe a a piece of a musical score that they themselves created or something that they heard on the radio that, that was just really fascinating. And they're curious either about something that was said and what people in the room might think or how something was actually composed, you know, how did they weave this together? How might they have recorded this thing? So it it can be anything as simple as just your gut reaction and maybe something a little more technical, like how would I mic this? Um, But what's great about the listening lounge is I feel like, and you can, you can certainly weigh in as well. Like I feel that it's a place that you don't have to have any knowledge of audio as a career or as a mission or even a passion project you just, you know, can be a person there. You just have to be a little curious. I mean, that's what I like about (laughs) it is that I don't have that expertise. I don't have the ear that so many people in the room do. 
But there's this kind of universality you kind of welcome. And it's like we're all just interested. And interest is all you need as a ticket for admission, which I think is absolutely really fabulous. So DC Listening Lounge is involved in the curation then of a sort of a, everybody can come and have kind of a DC Listening Lounge-like experience with sound scene at the Hirshhorn coming up in July. Tell us more about that. Absolutely. Thanks for asking. So about 11 years ago now, the members of the Listening Lounge thought, well, this is great to meet monthly, but it would be kind of fun to just sort of showcase some highlights of the stuff that we talk about in this more intimate setting in a more public space. And thus, Sound Scene was born. <laughs> it started off in a, a small community um, sort of multi-purpose space, one room had some live performances. We used a closet for a secret, what was it, like a a confessional booth, which was basically a baby monitor in one room and and (laughs) hidden somewhere else. And we made a huge map of the city of D.C. and we hung mobiles with headphones over different spots of the city to illustrate where the sound had come from. Uh And from that, you know, fast forward 11 years, we now have a tradition. Uh, we're very grateful to the Hirshhorn for hosting us, and we fill up little surprising corners and hallways of the four floors of the Hirshhorn and the outdoor plaza and the sculpture garden. And it just turns into ideally a, a kind of sonic playground for people to explore, to build, to listen. There's small group workshops if it feels kind of overwhelming to just make your way into this environment that you're not super familiar with. There's these smaller opportunities to sit and have maybe a more facilitated experience with a particular story or how to mix sounds into a DJ um, set, how to use samples. Um, There's opportunity to go on an audio architectural adventure where Mm -hmm. you're actually listening to the environments that you're moving through in and out of. Uh, there's beautiful live performances by artists who are doing hopefully some surprising things with sound uh, that maybe you might not have thought of. And this year we have a dance performance. uh, And I think that kind of gets back to the idea that I'm really excited about these days, which is that listening doesn't just have to happen with your ears. You know, at first when I was most excited about sound, I was thinking, you know, it's really powerful to tune into this this sense that we sometimes take for granted. You know, we're a very visual culture. And I love the idea of focusing in on some other senses and appreciating mm, the yeah. richness and the the depth of experience that can come from just attentive listening. And and these days I would say I'm I'm really excited by the idea of listening with more than your ears. You can feel vibrations in your fingertips. You can see sound expressed through movement. Uh, There's all these different ways to connect with the experience of listening that can happen in different parts of your body, in different rooms, in different locations, in different settings that can be really meaningful and and exciting and interesting and fun to explore. You know, it's this little DIY audio collective, <laughs> but we really celebrate and relish the opportunity to say that audio is is out there for all of us. And there's so much creative work being done. This is a really exciting time to be paying attention to audio personally. You know, I'm just like 
thrilled to see these really interesting projects being born out of the sound of people's voices. And, uh, you know, the, the tools are more ubiquitous and people have recorders often with them in all sorts of environments. So there's this just exponential opportunity to think about and use and capture and celebrate sound. And sound scene is just one opportunity for people to come and enjoy it and pay attention to it and think about it maybe in their daily lives after they've left in a different way. And so where can people find more information about it? So we have an Eventbrite. Uh, the event is called Sound Scene 11 Mapping Memory. Uh, it's at the Hirshhorn, so you can find information both on the Eventbrite webpage, you can find our Facebook event. We have a posting on the Hirshhorn's calendar, and of course the dclisteninglounge.org website has details about the live performers, about the small group workshops, about all the contributing artists from this year and past years. And this is July 7th and 8th this year, right? July 7th and 8th from 10 to 5. So before I let you go, I do have this big jar of wannabe analogies. Are you ready? I'm, I'm ready. Okay. So speaking of sounds, this is like the signature sound of the jar. So reach in and take out a slip of paper. We're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on the slip. You take one. I'm going to take one for myself and one for the audience. And you can go first or I can go, whatever you prefer. Okay. I'll, op I'll open mine. Okay. <laughs> Telephone uh, is the word. How is curiosity like a telephone? Curiosity is totally a telephone. <laughs> I mean, it's just the opportunity to pick up, and you don't necessarily have caller ID. You don't have a telephone that necessarily tells. Maybe it's an unknown number these days with cell uh -huh. phones. Uh, you can dial anyone you want. I mean, let's not forget the delight and prank calls. <laughs> we could also call them opportunities to connect with a stranger. <laughs> Uh, curiosity is very much like a telephone. Oh, very nice. Very nice. So I got incarceration. Um, and I'm going to say that curiosity is like incarceration because it can hold you captive um, and, and keep you in a place, um, sometimes a place you wouldn't necessarily want to be, but it will keep you in a place and in a way that almost nothing else will. So I guess that's how it's like incarceration. You never know what's going to show up in this year. And then audience, oh, yours is chocolate. How is curiosity like chocolate? I don't know. Let me know. Hashtag analogy. Uh, well, Jocelyn, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I was lucky enough to get my start at National Public Radio, and public radio is super important and close to my heart. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great programs here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can hear all my previous shows on iTunes, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook. Call it Choose to be Curious or on my website at choosetobecurious.com. And I hope you'll follow me on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. And don't forget to send us your chocolate analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guests, Jocelyn Frank, Ed Nasser, and Donald Tracer, as well as Virginia Millington for her clip, and Ranger Dean DeRosa and Aaron LaRocca for National Park Service for making it possible for me and you to hear the carolyn up close. Check out the summer concert series each Saturday evening from 6 to 8. Links to the DC Listening Lounge and the upcoming sound scene and other cool sound stuff, including the Carolyn concerts, on my Facebook page. Astute listeners will have noticed our new theme music, Time to Switch Things Up. Special thanks to Sean Ballack for that. 
I hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, just to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.